All right. If we've never met before, my name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here at Redeemer. It's my joy to preach uh, to you, before you, here this morning. And before we jump in, why don't we uh, just take a moment and pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. Lord, as the scriptures were read, we pray that you would do the work that you delight to do, that you would illuminate these words, this passage written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, would you bring these words to bear on our hearts and on our minds? God, I pray for all of those in this room, for those tuning in online, Lord, would you speak? We come to worship and to fellowship together, but Lord, we also want to commune with you. We want to hear from you. And so would you do that? Holy Spirit, do your work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Anthony and Kate Butler, Anthony Butler and Kate Dixon, excuse me, met for the first time in the summer of 2014 at a running group in New York City's Central Park. Neither of them were good runners at the time. Anthony had played basketball in high school and was athletic, but was now in his early 20s. He had put on some extra pounds, which some of us in this room can relate to. Kate had just run in a local charity 5K with her dad and had finished well behind him and was not feeling too awesome about her own fitness level. So both of them showed up at this running group looking to make some new friends and to become more active. And Anthony and Kate began running together every week at this running group, and over time, over weeks and months, they became pretty decent runners. They went from run walking, the one and a half mile flat uh, loop around the reservoir there in the center of Central Park, to being able to run the full six mile loop that goes around the perimeter of Central Park that includes some pretty significant hills. And after five months of doing this, they registered for and completed their first half marathon together. Quite an achievement. And this is a nice story, but it's a relatively common story. It's not really that exciting. There are countless motivational running stories like this that you could find online or in magazines and podcasts and books. However, there are a few details about this story specifically that make it not only unique, but make it pretty remarkable. So the first detail that I didn't give you the first time through is that the group that Anthony and Kate met at is called Achilles International. And this is a running club for people with disabilities. And the second thing that I didn't tell you is that Anthony is completely blind. And that third, Kate showed up at this club not only to meet friends, more active, but also to volunteer. And so Kate is Anthony's guide, and she holds a tether in her hand that he holds in his hand and keeps it taunt as they run along together. And she pulls it slightly, telling him to turn to the left, or she loosens it slightly, telling him to turn to the right, and communicates with him verbally uh, all the time as they run, giving him warnings for rough ground or obstacles or a curb or whatever as they jog along. 
And I tell you this story about Anthony and Kate because the reality is we are all in this room like both of them. On the one hand, we are like Anthony Butler. The scriptures tell us that we are broken people, that we are weak, wounded, and incomplete, men and women, in some way, all of us living in an imperfect and fallen world. And that all of us need other people to be fully human, to be who God created us to be, designed us to be, wants us to be. And as a blind man, Anthony could have never reached his potential as a runner without the assistance of someone else. And likewise, it is impossible for all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus in this room or not, it's impossible for all of us to reach our full potential without the help of others. But not only are we like Anthony, but on the other hand, we are also like Kate Dixon. Because the scriptures also tell us that every Christian, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, has God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered gifts and talents and abilities. We all have a unique and important role to play in the body of Christ, in the church, for the good of others and for the sake of God's kingdom. And we all have something to offer. It doesn't matter whether it's big or small. It doesn't matter whether it's public and in the limelight or whether it's more private and behind the scenes. We all have something to offer. And I would bet that for Kate, her eyesight probably didn't seem very extraordinary to her. Before showing up at Achilles International, she probably never considered her vision as something that she could use to help others. But for Anthony, who lost his eyesight from a bullet at the age of 20 outside a subway station one night, her eyesight is priceless to him. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, what I want you to hear is that you have something to offer. We all have something to offer. And we're in the third week of a sermon series on generosity. Giorgio, over the last two weeks, he looked at the verses immediately preceding our passage, and he talked about money and giving, this financial generosity. This morning, what I want to do is I want to twist the generosity diamond a little bit, and we're going to look at it from a different facet, look at generosity from a slightly different angle. And so I want to spend a few minutes looking at these verses and making a couple of observations about what it looks like to be generous, not with our finances, but with our God-given gifts and talents and abilities. And so from here, I'm going to talk in two parts. First, about what it means to be generous as followers of Jesus individually. And then second, what it looks like to be generous as the bride of Christ corporately. So as followers of Jesus individually, and then as the bride of Christ corporately. So first, let's talk individually. In the case you missed the last two Sundays, let me give you a little bit of context. I'll just set the stage for a moment. In this section of the letter, Paul is commending a delegation. These three men that we counted all together when the kids went up here a minute ago. He's commending this delegation to the church in Corinth. This group is being sent for the purpose of ensuring that a financial collection uh, for the Jerusalem Christians happens. So previous to this, uh, a number of Gentile or non-Jewish churches that Paul had started agreed and decided together to put together a significant 
monetary gift for the, their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem who were in desperate need of aid. And that gift has not happened yet. And so Paul sends this delegation, and he's explaining in these verses to the Corinthians that he approves of these three men. He says, hey, these three men, these guys are going to take care of this collection. They're going to help you complete this promise that you've gave. He's commending them to the church. And these men probably also are carrying this letter from Paul as well to the church. But who are these three men? The first, verse 16 and 17 we encountered, is Titus. Titus. And we're not really given any information in these verses specifically about Titus, but he's a pretty common character uh, in the New Testament. And so we know a little bit about him. We, knew, we know that he is a Gentile uh, convert who seemed to have possessed some abilities as an administrator. In another letter that Paul wrote to Titus directly, he says this to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's Titus 1.5. And so it seems that Titus, this first guy, he had the God-given gifts of organization or maybe of leadership. Second man in the delegation is called the brother, verse 18, the brother. So we don't know his name, but we do know that he was well-known for his preaching and that he had a good reputation among the churches there. We see this in verse 18 when we're introduced to him, where it says that he is praised by all the churches for his work in spreading the gospel. And so it seems that the brother, the second guy, was a man who had the God-given gifts maybe of teaching or of evangelism. And the last man, the last person in this delegation that we encounter is simply called our brother. Found them all the way down in verse 22. And we know even less about this guy, except it seems that he was really excited to help. And that he believed in some form or fashion, for some reason, in the Corinthian church. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, he translates this verse this way. And he describes uh, our brother, and he says, he carries on as energetically as the day he started. He's heard much about you, and he's liked what he's heard, so much so that he can't wait to get there. So in other words, this last person, he's just got some like positive energy. He's just like a vibes guy. He's just like along for the ride. So we don't know, obviously, but maybe he had the gifts of, uh, the God-given gifts of exhortation, or maybe faith. Maybe shepherding, not really sure. But what I want you to see here, first of all, is that these three men are all being generous, individually using their unique talents for the sake of the Corinthian church. They each have something different, yet equally important, to offer. They each have a special ability or a talent that they're able to contribute to this work of this collection. And moreover, I would say that this delegation probably needed all three of these men to be successful and to be fruitful. What a disaster it may have been if Titus was the one who had to be the encourager, or if the brother had to be the administrator, or our brother had to be the preacher. It may have all fallen apart. It may not have worked. But they each use what they have been given 
They each use what they have been, what they have received from the Holy Spirit. They each run in their divinely appointed lane, and it all works together. And that's a little glimpse, a little picture of what it looks like for us to be generous individually. But let's talk for a moment corporately. So second now, corporately. Let me ask you this question. If Titus and these two other men from Macedonia are in Corinth, giving this administrative lift, helping organize the collection, helping preach the scriptures, helping encourage the people, where are they then not doing those things? In Macedonia, where they're from. They're not able to use their God-given gifts, talents, and abilities in two geographic locations at the same time. Titus can't be serving the churches in both Thessalonica and Corinth. The brother can't be teaching the scriptures in both Philippi and Crete. Our brother can't be shepherding the flock of God in both Berea and Jerusalem. And so what I want you to see here is that the churches in Macedonia are generous how? By not hoarding their people. In fact, the churches there are giving away their best people for the sake of others. And in this passage then, so not only are these three men being generous individually using their gifts, but the local congregations in Macedonia from which they come from are being generous corporately for the sake of the church capital C, the big church, the wider church in that region and even around the world. And if you're new to Redeemer, welcome. I am also. I've only been here six months. But you may not know that this congregation has a long and beautiful history of being generous with its people. And it's one of the things, as I interviewed here, that actually attracted me to Redeemer was this history. Over the past 40 years, hundreds of men and women and children, including staff and ministers, have been blessed and sent out from this church to plant new churches and to help carry the message of the good news of Jesus throughout our city and region and world. And so we have said goodbye to some of our best people, to people that we have loved deeply, to people that we miss deeply. And why do we do those things? Well, it's for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's so that the reign of Jesus may grow and expand outside the walls, the four walls of this facility, of this building, and to the ends of the earth. And before I wrap up, let's talk and be real and acknowledge for a moment that generosity is hard. It hurts. Whether the individual kind or the corporate kind, it always comes with a cost. And that cost can be financial, but it can also be relational or emotional, physical. And so why are Titus then, and these two brothers, why are they so eager to be generous with their God-given gifts, talents, and abilities? What compels them to travel, to go to Corinth instead of Disneyland? What should compel us? There's a little hint in verse 16 where Paul says that Titus had a divinely infused earnest care, an earnest care for the Corinthian church. Titus's motivation to, to generously serve was a God-given concern, this a devotion 
a supernatural love for these believers in Corinth. You see, true generosity is always initiated by love. Arguably the most famous passage in the whole Bible, John 3.16, makes this really clear. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He loved and then he gave. Loved and then gave. Author Gordon MacDonald states it this way. He says that God is the first and most generous giver. See, as followers of Jesus, we are generous in response to the gospel, in response to God's great act of love and generosity in Jesus. We are generous to others because God has been generous to us. We give because God has given to us. We serve because God has served us. And we love because God has first loved us. And maybe to put it slightly differently, our generosity, you could think of it as it's a reaction to God's grace. It's something that we do out of gratitude when we truly and deeply comprehend how incredible and how beautiful and how wonderful the good news of being reconciled to God through Jesus is. This Jesus, this son of man who said of himself that he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the followers of Jesus, we are a people who have experienced the great love and mercy of God. And so in response, we tangibly express that love and mercy to others. And we do that from a posture of gratitude. We do that with love in our hearts. We do it as an act of worship. And as we close, I want to give you one warning and one exhortation. One warning and one exhortation about being generous with your God-given gifts and talents and abilities. First, the warning. If you are waiting for the right time, for the right season, the perfect age and stage of your life to begin to practice generosity, to begin serving, you're never going to do it. Volunteerism in our culture is on the decline. Across the board, even pre-COVID, be interesting to see what these numbers are when they do these studies years from now. But the University of Maryland's Do Good Institute used US Census data to track rates of volunteering from high school students all the way through to people through retirement age and discovered that from 2005 to 2015 in every single age group they looked at, volunteering declined. And it probably won't surprise you that this same study found that parenting age adults, which they define as those that are 35 to 54, it's the age that most people have kids at home, obviously some earlier, some later, that that age group had, the, had a sharper decline in volunteering than high school and college kids. That makes sense. But what may surprise you is that another study found that retirees, people who presumably have enough time have a flexible schedule to serve others, they found that statistically, retirees do not volunteer at higher rates than those people who are employed. And this decline in volunteerism has been confirmed by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics data, other Pew Research studies, it's well documented. And so the bottom line is this, it is countercultural and unique to be generous. 
even to be generous with your God-given gifts and talents and abilities. To volunteer or to serve at all is to swim upstream against the current of our culture. Over 90% of Americans say they want to volunteer, 90%, but only one in four report that they actually do. So only 25% follow through with those good intentions. There is no perfect time. There's no perfect time. And that leads to my exhortation, which is this, start small and start now. Start small and start now. One of the local ministry partners at my previous church in New Jersey was called Small Things. And this was a ministry that was birthed out of the Liberty Communion of Churches, which was the network of local congregations that I was a part of there. During the COVID-19 pandemic, this ministry, it delivers, they deliver food to hungry neighbors and the food insecure all over the city of Philadelphia. It was great that Vern prayed for food insecurity in our own city this morning. It's a nice divine coincidence there. And the director of Small Things, Vito Baldini, he got the name for this ministry from a quote by Mother Teresa. And she once said this, we cannot do great things, only small things, with great love. We cannot do great things, only small things, with great love. And so Vito, it's a great Italian name, by the way. He's a good dude. He readily admits that giving a single meal or even giving one full week of groceries to a family is not going to get them out of poverty. It's not, it's not enough. It's not going to do it. There's a lot more that has to be done. However, packing and delivering that box of food is still a great thing, and it's still worth doing because it's done from a heart of gratitude. It's done with love, and it's done in the name of Jesus. It's a small thing, but it's a great thing. And the same is true for us when it comes to being generous with our God-given gifts and talents and abilities when it comes to our serving and volunteering. Donald Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, writes this. The ministry of serving may be as public as preaching or teaching, but more often it will be as sequestered as nursery duty. It may be as visible as singing a solo, but usually it will be as unnoticed as operating the sound equipment to amplify that solo. Serving may be as appreciative as a good testimony in a worship service, but typically it's as thankless as washing dishes after a church social. So the best way to become a Christ-like servant, the best way for you to grow in your practice, your personal practice of generosity, is to build up and strengthen your volunteer muscles. Create some volunteering inertia by serving in small easy ways in serving, doing those things regularly first, instead of waiting for the perfect opportunity at some future idealistic time that will never come. And to be clear, I think you should look for opportunities to serve both here within the walls of Redeemer and outside the walls of Redeemer that fit your affinities and your abilities, meaning that to find ways to serve that interest you and stir passion within you and things that you're good at 
and just seem gifted to serve in that particular way, I think you should look for those things. But in the meantime, while you're searching for that, just do something. A friend of mine often says, something is better than nothing. And in this situation, I think he is right. Just do something. And if you're not sure where to start, I'm going to give you something super practical this morning. Right in front of you, in the pew, is a, is a connection card. It's that little thing that your child chews on and scribbles on. Grab that. Put your name and your email on there. Flip it over. Check the box on the back that says, I want more information about serving. In about seven minutes, the offering plates are going to come around. Drop that in the offering plate, and we will reach out to you, and we will help you find somewhere to start. One of the things that I really like about Anthony and Kate's story is that her generosity, her graciously loaning her eyesight for the benefit of a blind runner, learning to guide a blind runner, it actually allowed them both to grow and to thrive and to excel. Their relationship was symbiotic. It was mutually beneficial. They both became better people. They both became better runners. They both were built up. And when followers of Jesus are generous individually with their God-given gifts and talents and abilities, and when the body of Christ is generous corporately with its people, everyone is built up. Everybody wins. It's mutually beneficial. The whole church is made strong. And so, Redeemer, I want you to imagine for a moment what our congregation, what our community, what our city would look like if we all recognized that we had something to offer. If we all discovered what that unique thing was and if all of us used it for the sake of others. Imagine what the kingdom of God could look like in Ardmore and in Buena Vista and in Sherwood Forest and in Clemens and in all of Winston-Salem. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful, thankful beyond measure for your generosity that you have shown us in Jesus. In Jesus, we are thankful that you did come not to be served, but to serve. And we are recipients of that grace, and so we give you thanks. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, those that are here in the room, and those that are online. Lord, would you prick our hearts? Would you stir in us the ways that you want us to grow in generosity with our time, with our energy, with the things that you have given us? Help us each to take a step. And would we do so not out of guilt, not out of fear, not out of pride, but out of gratitude and out of love for what you, you have already done for us. We thank you, we praise you, and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.